Welcome. You are listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, lively conversations with cutting edge authors, hosted by Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is an author, advocate, and educator. Join us to find your new favorite author, book, or inspiration. And now, here's Mary. Welcome to Cover to Cover. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Today, we are talking about a very important subject, overcoming addiction and abuse. I want to welcome two sisters, Ronnie Titchener and Jenny Weaver. Hi, ladies. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, we're, I'm so grateful to have you. And we're here early, right? So we're dedicated to the subject in life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're passionate. And um, I'm talking yes. to them about their book called Healing Begins With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond. So what's really uni- unique about these two ladies is that they are sisters who lived in the same household with these um, traumatic and difficult experiences, and they chose in their life to heal from this. And what they're doing is taking their experience, they put it in a book, and and they're using it to help others know how to uh, to learn and understand how to heal, and that they can heal too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Um, we are just going to, I want to just jump right in because I've done, you know, I've looked at what you guys are, you know, what your, your platform is, what you're talking about, what you're teaching. And so I think a lot of people obviously can relate and uh, what I think we've all experienced is how much more these words, like, manipulation and trauma and abuse have become so much more mainstream for us these days, especially going through the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. the more we talk about them, the better that we will all be right. Yes. Yes. So that's the, I was just going to say, that's the big thing about growing up with adverse childhood experiences or anyone who experiences abuse of any kind or mental illness addiction is that there's there's this this veil of shame kind of wrapped around it we want it we want to hide it we don't want to talk about it and and that's really been a great motivator for why ronnie and i decided to write this book together okay to will you expand others heal yeah will you expand on that a little bit because that i want to that's one of the first questions i wanted to jump into with both of you is why did you feel you know, what, what put this on your heart so much that led you, made you just feel like, you know, we, we've got to write this book. I think, I think knowing that, um, that there, there is so much isolation that goes on in children that grow up with adverse childhood experiences. And, and when we talk about adverse childhood experiences, this is something that is Ronnie's specialty as a sociologist, you know, these, this has been being studied for the last few decades. And, and these adverse childhood experiences can be physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional, physical neglect, um, loss of a parent or parents due to death, divorce, um, uh, separation, uh, incarceration of a parent, um, addiction in the home, um, domestic violence in the home and mental illness, and and when you when you stack up all of these adverse childhood experiences over the long term, um, through the years of a person's life, it of course affects them not just 
as we might expect, causing, uh, for example, um, mental health issues of depression, anxiety, but also physical ailments. You know, it's the, these things are directly tied to obesity, you know, um, uh, diabetes, heart disease. Um, and, uh, and of course, you would also suspect people that would smoke and would turn to um, other substances to try to cope with what they've grown up with. So Ronnie and I um, have been working on our own recovery from, you know, in, in the home we grew up in, we had five of the, of the, out of the nine or 10, you know, adverse childhood experiences, and we were borderline for two others. And it has taken us a good 30 years of working on our own recovery, but we've had the benefit of having the love and support of each other, which is very unusual, being that in our home with addiction and abuse and mental illness, Ronnie was the identified hero. And that child, um, usually the, all of the family hopes and dreams are pinned on that child. And, and they are the super achiever, you know, in usually in multiple fields, academics, it can be um, the arts, it can be sports, um, but they, they are the child that the family looks to and says, see, everything's okay with us here because we have this remarkable, you know, <laughs> successful child. And there are other roles as well. Um, um, my role in the family as the youngest out of three was the scapegoat. And the scapegoat is uh, in, in um, when talking from a, from a therapeutic standpoint, that's the identified patient of the family. That's the kid that has, you know, the family says, wow, if this kid could just get their act together and, and if they just weren't such a screw up, everything would be fine with us. You know, there wouldn't be any problems here. Um, there are other roles as well in, in these in these homes. There um, can be an invisible child, the one that just kind of disappears into their room, disappears and, you know, into the into the shadows and and tries not to make any <laughs> any attention, have any attention drawn on themselves. Also, there's a mascot role, um, the, the family clown um, uh, that tries to alleviate with humor. And I, I later took on part of that role as a teenager just to, to try to diffuse some of the tension in the home. But these are all typical roles that you will see <clears throat> regardless of the socioeconomic um, status of the family. These are very common dynamics. And Ronnie and I felt very called to write this book together because our healing journey has been what has helped us, our, you know, our friendship, us, us coming together um, and healing our sibling relationship has really helped to tremendously accelerate our healing process. And we felt very called to write about it. Right. Um, I would just add, I apologize to your listeners. I'm getting over colds. So my voice is hoarse, but it is really very uncommon for the hero and the scapegoat to be friends. All the therapists we've ever come in contact with have said it's extremely unlikely because one of the things that happens is the parents pit the kids against each other. And so one of the things that we did not see in the recovery literature was the discussion of the damage that's done to sibling relationships when kids grow up with trauma. And as Jenny said, we would be nowhere near where we are in our healing journey without having each other to validate each other, to share memories and to say, yes, 
it was bad. Yes, you're remembering it correctly. Yes, that really did happen. So that's another piece of why we really felt like there are lots of stories about recovering from trauma, but we didn't see anything like ours out there. Wow. And you touched on something I was going to ask you about, and that was those different roles that happen in a household. And so do you feel like those different roles happen, whether there's trauma and abuse and control and neglect and all those things? Did, did, did children play those roles, whether it's a healthy household or not a healthy household, or do those show up, you know, particularly in an unhealthy household? Well, here's the thing is those roles usually come out of dysfunction, like particularly addiction. So you can have the addiction actually stop actively. And maybe, I mean, we know these cycles are intergenerational. So it might be that somebody's parent or grandparent was addicted and these roles were set into motion. They can continue to play out generation after generation without active addiction because that's just what people know. They tend to reproduce what they know. So without active recovery, it's very easy um, for these roles to start again. In fact, one of the things that motivated us to take a good hard look at our family was we saw our parents looking at our young children and already identified, like they identified Jenny's second child as a scapegoat before she was two in the next generation. And we said, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because we were still in denial. We thought we were a warm, close, loving, happy family. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's amazing the 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 space of denial that we go into for coping mechanism it's really um it is a i don't know if we want to call that a resiliency thing but it is amazing and unfortunately you know when we come into this world we're not handed a book on resiliency and how to how to get through stuff so um we carry these our whole lives and as adults this is where we operate from you know all these people that are running the country wonder what their background is you know <laughs> or, or a head of a corporation or something um, so tell everyone, you know, I think you touched on it, but, you know, your your uh, term of definition of childhood trauma um, can mean so many different things. But what does it mean to you, ladies? Well, for us, we grew up in a home with um, addiction, mental illness, and both parents, um, physical, emotional abuse, sexual abuse that went back um, multiple generations, as as is common in in families of trauma they this is these are learned behaviors learned patterns and so we were borderline for you know there was a there was a separation for a short time um when our father wanted to divorce our mother um so so there was certainly plenty of trauma uh traumatic experiences as we grew up and and you know what I, what i want to say to people listening is that you know, when, when you are indoctrinated into this from birth, you don't know any, any other way. I, I think we get glimpses of it when we go to school or when we see other people in public, but, but you also need to understand these things are done behind closed doors. These things are done out of the eyes of extended family, of neighbors, of, you know, people don't know what's going on. And so on some level, you start as you start to become a little older you know i would say in our teen years and our and in our early 20s 
on some level, you know, you start, you start asking those questions, what's, what's wrong with me? And, and, and there's a, there's an inkling of, you know, something's not quite right here. Um, and, and that's what, you know, sent me into counseling at, you know, early on was, you know, our father's favorite question was what the heck's the matter with you? You know, only he used other expletives. And, and so, you know, when you hear that over and over again, you start to internalize that and saying, okay, what is wrong with me? And, and it was through counseling that some of this started to surface. I was very fortunate. My first counselor that I saw was well-versed in addiction and abuse issues. Um, and the sad thing is in our country, it's not a requirement for counselors to be trained in addiction and abuse. Um, and so you can end up with a counselor who is really ill-equipped, not equipped, to handle this and may actually tell you to go back and try to try to try to fix this abusive relationship from your end. Just be as healthy as you can and try to go back in there and make it better. You know, you're a strong person. You can do this. Um, I've actually, well, Ronnie experienced similar um, issues when she when she talked with a counselor who who was clearly not trained in this. Um, so I I would I I tend to try to say that every time we talk about this because. It's imperative, you know, to interview your counselor before you go down that road to make sure that they are that they are trained in in the areas of, of your needs. Um, so it was really through the counseling that I started to unwrap um, what happened to me. And it was through that mental health counseling that first started opening up these doors and started I, I, I say lifting those layers off the onion of denial. And, and in the beginning, I was the one pushing Ronnie, I think, to talk about the problems in the family. Um, you know, it was 11 o'clock in the morning on one visit when she came from out of town to visit. And, and I said, Ronnie, dad's an alcoholic. And she said, no, he's not. He just abuses alcohol. I said, it's 11 o'clock in the morning and he's too drunk to drive you to the airport. He's an alcoholic, you know? And so it, it was, it was me as the scapegoat. I, I was I was tired of of living that role and being and having all of that negative energy of the family dumped on my shoulders. I, I wasn't willing to to carry on anymore. I was bucking the system, and of course that created all kinds of turmoil within the family because I wasn't going along with the role that was handed to me. And I was still, I was still trying to live mine as the hero. I thought I could fix it. I could keep the family together. I could talk to my parents and help them see how awful they were being to Jenny. And it just didn't work. It was, it's, um, they needed the addict, the abuser needs everybody to play their role to take the focus off the real problem. And as soon as we tried to look at the real problem, things spiraled out of control. How could, and how could they not, right? It, it, the depth of what things are. Do you feel like um, that, you know, you touched on something. Do you, it, it seems like maybe sometimes there's a light bulb moment for people, Jenny, that it's like all of a sudden, okay, we're not doing this anymore. And we have to fix this. 
And I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but you know, in the work that y'all have done and even the research, do you feel like um, that's sort of kind of what happens for people is there's just this, whoa, hey, it's almost like your eyes open up, maybe? I think there can be multiple light bulb moments. I think, you know, for me, I knew that, you know, I, I was, I was conditioned to be, to be a people pleaser in our home and to make peace at all costs. And that doesn't work very well in the real world. Um, for women that get, that gets you into abusive relationships or, you know, or in situations that, that you you really probably should have said no i'm not going to go on a date with you at all and instead of going out with someone who you have to fight them off and you're 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 at, at risk for date rape so i mean there there can be many aha moments along the way and you know for me it, it was why does this keep happening why does this keep happening to me um and so i i did i started counseling at age 19 for a few months and and then again, um, shortly after I married my wonderful husband, you know, I, I think Ronnie and I both had enough, um, I don't know if you call it critical thinking skills or just, it was the way our brains were put together, but we both at a young age knew we did not want to marry a man like our father. We both knew we did not want a marriage relationship like what we grew up with. And so we both were on a mission to find a man that was not like dad. I, and, and so I think that was maybe a, just something innate in us that we, and, and you can learn, we all do. We learn from, from positive experiences and we learn from negative experiences. And I think that we both had enough drive for survival and, and wanting more than just survival that that yes, I think there were several aha moments along the way. And, you know, I'm fortunate, like I said, I, uh, that I found an amazing counselor early on that helped accelerate my healing process and my questioning. And I think going into a helping profession as well, when I sat in my first class, uh, it was human lifespan and development. I'd been through several psychology classes, but that class talked about the teacher talked about the um, dynamics in an addicted home and described the roles that each family member plays, the addict, the codependent, and the, the different roles that the children can play. And I, I, I was stunned. I said, Ronnie's the hero, my brother's the invisible child, and I'm the scapegoat slash mascot. There it is. And so that was, that was when my first daughter was a year old. So I, I, but I, but it took even even after that it took a couple more years before I had the guts to say Ronnie dad's an alcoholic this is really that bad and that was just one of the problems that wasn't we didn't even talk about the abuse and and the other issues if we couldn't even agree on the addiction problems in the home how could we talk about our parents mental illness how could we talk about the abuse so it the denial is so incredibly powerful and the the conditioning to don't ask don't tell don't talk is it can't be overstated it takes a lot to overcome that some people and never do the, and so, yeah some people never do 
Yeah, it's definitely a coping mechanism. Absolutely. So we're talking today on Cover to Cover about healing begins with us breaking the cycle of trauma and abuse and rebuilding the sibling bond. And you can buy this book on Amazon and wherever books are sold, you got to go out and get a copy. So uh, we're talking today with Ronnie and Jenny and their siblings who um, are you know, they want to really bring this to the forefront uh, about breaking the cycle of trauma and abuse and healing. How do siblings heal? How do they help each other heal? I mean, you guys have done an amazing job, but what would you tell folks out there who are siblings? How, what is like one step they could take to help each other? I would say <clears throat> you really have to reach out with honesty and vulnerability because if you've grown up at home with trauma, you hurt each other. Um, just because, as we said earlier, you're pitted against each other. And so you have to recognize that there's, a, there, there's some damage there and you have to be willing to look at it. I would say that's the first step is that willingness. Jenny, you can fill in from there, dear. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I, I would say definitely that, that what Ronnie said can't be can't be overemphasized, and and breaking that cycle of, you know, in an addicted, abusive home, there's what therapists will call triangular communication, where in order to keep the secrets, all information has to go through one person, and that's the the codependent, and that was our mother, and so we didn't talk to each other directly, and that may seem crazy in in a day with internet and cell phones, but back when we were first going on, Ronnie was going to college and, and, and we were first getting married, there was just the telephone and, and phone, phoning each other was expensive. But we, it was really during a visit that um, she was teaching at her alma mater and she had her daughter with her. And she, and she, I think intuitively knew things were not good. My husband was in Saudi Arabia. I had my first daughter uh, was an infant and and she kept inviting me to come visit her for a weekend. Uh, well, and we talk about this in the book. Well, I, I finally went to visit her with my daughter and and she said, as soon as I walked in the door, what's wrong? I was struggling with, with severe postpartum depression. My parents were, were really working on me. And, and we just totally out of character, talked honestly and openly with each other for the first time ever in our young adult lives. And she started talking about our family dy dynamics. Um, we didn't use all the terms and didn't, we weren't that far along in, in, in reading about addiction and abuse issues, but, but she said, you're the, you're the identified patient of the family. You're the family mess. She validated me for the first time. And in such a profound way that it, it tremendously, be, you know, accelerated our healing process that, we really started that weekend and and then we did we made a commitment that we we're going to talk to each other directly we are not going to go through mom anymore so we started making phone calls to each other regularly um and started comparing how parenting parenting tips okay i'm reading this book you know discipline without spanking what are you you know what what do you recommend i don't you know i'm trying to help my my two and a half year old you know with the temper tantrums that kind of thing and it was talking to each other directly and being vulnerable, like Ronnie said, with each other, being honest with each other. That was the greatest step forward. 
and and we i think in, intuitively realize that nobody can come between our relationship nobody it's our relationship is between the two of us and it was it was clear later on at some point when our mother was saying something to to try and, and spin or turn ronnie against me that it was untrue and ronnie said well actually um i you know this is what this is what my understanding is of, of what that event was and she said oh you've been talking to your sister as if it was some horrible thing that we had broken the rule of talking to each other directly but that's how entrenched you are by by being controlled and and it's it takes some time to to come out of that but but talking to each other directly and developing your relationship like as ronnie said with respect with love and with vulnerability is imperative to the healing process mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Ronnie, do you want to say anything about that? No, except to emphasize how how corrosive our mother was in our relationship early on. She was telling us things that were absolutely untrue about each other. And I harbored some very um, negative and hard feelings toward Jenny that it wasn't until years later when we had developed some trust, I said, you know, I was really upset to learn that you had done X, Y, or Z. And she goes, oh, wait a minute. That is not true. And then told me how things really went down, you know? So there was just so much that we were unaware of the ways in which our mother was trying to purposely destroy our relationship. Oh, I'm it so was, sorry. Yeah. It was, it was unfortunate. Wow. Well, what advice do you have for people trying to support someone else who is healing from childhood trauma, whether they're a child or like you guys are siblings and adults, you know, you guys have been able to find a way to help each other. How would you help somebody that is, you're not related to that you're aware, you know, or, or maybe even a relative, you know, that you are related to, but you're not like, you know, super, super close, but you know, that something has happened. I think it's really important to educate yourself about about trauma and abuse, um, and that's what we try to do in our book. You know, not not to make that as a plug, but but that's plug it, plug it. Yes, <laughs> but under but understanding what that per what people have experienced and what they've lived through. I had a dear friend that I've known since high school, and she she said to me, "I had no idea, I had no idea how." how bad it was and she said in part she felt like a voyeur reading our book but in part she felt really sad because she had no idea the long slog that it has been you know healing from from these adverse childhood experiences but but that's how we help each other we we educate ourselves and then i think the important thing is to try to be present for that person I don't want to talk about the nitty gritty details of what was done to me because I do not want to re-traumatize myself. That's what counseling with a really good therapist is for. You unpack it there, you sort through it there, and then hopefully you you can set that aside. Um, but but to understand that if I'm going through a, a, a cycle of depression or if I'm having high anxiety, you know, this is conditioning from my childhood. It, it's much better now than it was 30 years ago, but it still happens. 
and and just to to make space for that and i would say the most important thing is disclosing for for anyone who has experienced trauma is very difficult and sometimes we we may choose to disclose to someone that was probably not the best person to try to disclose to so i think trying to make space for that person and and just letting them know that I don't know what you're going through, but I, I am here to support you and, and you are loved and you are worthy and you are valued is what we need to hear. Cause we will never hear. I'm sorry from our abusers, from the people who have traumatized us and, and really all we want, all anybody wants is to be loved and accepted for all of who we are and to not have to hide what happened to us. That was of course, none of our fault in in this veil of shame and that's really what writing this book was about it was like you know we've been hiding this these parts of ourselves and there are so many hundreds of thousands of people out there who are also hiding these parts of themselves and i think i would love to live in a world where we can love each person and and accept them and not and not burden people unnecessarily with the shame of what traumatized them when they were an innocent child. Mm. The other thing I, I would add to that is that um, particularly if someone is in an abusive situation or in the early phase of recognizing that they are, don't push them. Don't tell them you should do this or you should do that. Um, you could say, you know, I know that sometimes people find uh, counseling helpful or support groups like we we tried Al-Anon in Adult Children of Alcoholics. You could say these are your options, but people can only do what they can do. Sometimes just getting out of bed and moving through your day is all you can do. Um, it may take a while to get up the courage to call a counselor or to walk into a 12-step meeting took me a long time. As the hero, my my uh, view was that people in 12-step groups were losers who couldn't manage their lives. And I did not want to be associated with that. So I, I didn't want to go. And when I finally did, I found this amazing group of wonderful, loving, supportive people who helped me dramatically. But I had to be ready to go. So as Jenny said, that holding space and just loving and supporting them wherever they are and whatever they're choosing in that moment is very important. Gosh, you guys have hit on so many gold nuggets. I, I can't even keep track of all of them. They're so beautiful and so amazing and so helpful. I'm like, okay, we need to just keep talking and talking. It's just so amazing, you know, and it, it's just, it's so true. And there are so many people who don't get the help they need because of those stigmas, because they don't want to be associated with what looks like weakness, you know, and it keeps them from having their best life. If they could just get up over that mountain. They could just see this beautiful green pasture out there, you know, or lake or whatever is beautiful to you. 
What do you hope, ladies, yes. that people will take away from reading your book? And, and I think this is a book that's appropriate whether you have siblings or not. If you have suffered trauma in your life and been in an abusive family, you know, had abusive parents or what you've come to understand is abuse and you want to heal, I think this book is probably very appropriate for anyone who has, um, has been through something like that. What do you hope folks will take away from the book and from today? My hope is that people will will take hope away from from reading our book and from our talk today is that you know learning to to listen to your inner your inner voice that that inner guidance of um, seeking seeking healing for yourself but beyond survival beyond healing is is a life lived of joy you know a life lived following your heart and and being the person that you were meant to be. And I, I think of it as, you know, I was hijacked as an infant in, in this, in, in these traumatic experiences. And I'm, I'm becoming the Jenny that I was meant to be now. I'm living a, a life of love. I'm living a life of joy. And it was a lot of work to get to this point, but I am, I am becoming the person that I wanted to be. I'm, parenting, nurturing, loving myself in the way that I wasn't as a child. And, and that's been the gift of, of my beautiful sister, Ronnie, is that we have loved and nurtured each other and mothered and, and sistered and, and helped each other in the ways that, that we did not receive in our family of origin. We also hope that anybody who is on this healing path, wherever they are, we kind of talk about the whole arc of our journey, trying more conventional things and then trying some unconventional things, really whatever we felt called to explore. And we hope that people will, um, in the, as part of their healing, as Jenny said, listen to that voice and do whatever it is they think is going to make them happy or help them learn about themselves or be more authentically who they are, who they were meant to be. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate this time with you ladies so much. I thank you for all the gold nuggets. I hope these words will really reach people who listen to this today or whenever they listen to it. And, you know, we've been sitting here talking with Ronnie Titchener and Jenny Weaver. They, Ronnie is a sociologist, <coughs> excuse me, and Jenny is a nurse practitioner. Okay, that was, uh, so I am just so grateful for this time together with you ladies and, you know, go buy their book. Okay, Healing Begins with Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond. You know, buy the book, if not for yourself, somebody who may need it out there. You know, Christmas is coming up. You can find the book on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. So support these ladies in their journey and join them on the path to healing so that you can have an amazing life, like what they're experiencing now. So I'm so grateful to the two of you for being here today and sharing your story. And um, we'll have to have you guys back on and we'll talk about more of this at some point. Right. So, so from cover to cover, <laughs> so from cover to cover, we will see you. We will uh, actually, we will be here soon. So thank you so much and have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of our audience today. 
Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends, and tune in for the next episode of Cover to Cover for all things in the author world.